Today, Lachlan will be reading to you from Amos chapter 5, verses 18 to 27. And that's found on page 748 of the Church Bibles and page 1491 of the Chinese Bibles. That's Amos chapter 5, beginning at verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That will be darkness, not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion only to meet a bear, as though he entered his house and rested his hand on the wall only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness, not light, pitch dark, without a ray of brightness? I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness people of Israel? You You have lifted up the shine of your king the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. Therefore I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord whose name is God Almighty. Thanks, Lachlan. Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, my name's Craig Foster. I'm one of the, uh, the pastors here. Uh, if you're new or visiting... Uh, just a, a pre-warning, you've, you've come into a series, uh, a holiday series, on the Old Testament prophet Amos, uh, which happens to be one of the strongest kind of judgment uh, passages in the Bible. So I just wanted to kind of let you know what you've uh, come for today. Uh, we've just finished working through 1 Corinthians, and now we're into our holiday series, Amos. So let's, uh, let's pray. It is a very confronting passage, as we've just heard. Let's pray that uh, God would speak to us through it. Father God, we... Thank you that all scripture is God-breathed, is useful for teaching, correcting and rebuking and training in righteousness. And we do pray as we look at this passage from Amos, written some two and a half thousand years ago, that we would understand what it had to say to them back then. And we would understand what it has to say to us today, what you want to say to us today uh, in the hills in the 21st century. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, imagine if God was to speak to us right now and said this. Norwest, I hate your worship services. I hate 1045 church service. I despise your Christmas and Easter and family services. They are a stench to me. Norwest next and Norwest now, I despise them. Your giving and your building projects are offensive to me. I reject them all. Your music, your guitars, your keyboards make my ears hurt. They are a painful noise to me. This would get our attention, wouldn't it? It would get the attention of any church. Well, in chapter 5 of Amos, we have a funeral lament in verses 1 to 17 and a woe oracle in verses 18 to 27. We hear God roaring like a lion through his prophet Amos to Israel. Wake up, Israel, you are a complete sham. You are a complete fake. You are all hypocrites. This Amos series is called The Lord Who Roars. 
referring back to Amos chapter 1, verse 2. The Lord roars from Zion and thunders from Jerusalem. I recall the first time that I heard a lion roar in the wild. It was only last year when we were in Africa. It was bone chilling. I initially thought it was thunder of a storm. And some locals told me that it was lions before feeding time. And it sent a shiver down my spine. Well, God wants to wake up Israel. The voice of God through the prophet Amos is like a lion roaring across the nation of Israel. Disaster is upon them. It's 760 BC. In 40 years' time, the northern kingdom will be destroyed. The northern nation of Israel is on its deathbed, about to die. But they had no idea of the danger that they are in. They're like this impala, enjoying a good feed, unsuspecting of the watching lion about to pounce. Life was good, comfortable, luxurious. Israel had economic prosperity, military success, religious success. But from a spiritual standpoint, things were a disaster. Israel's heart was far from God, and their religion was a complete fake. And Amos the shepherd was sent right to the center of the corruption, to the cult city of Bethel, to let them know of the disaster they were facing. Now we may think, what's this got to do with Norwest? What has this got to do with the hill, living in the hills in the 21st century? Well, the truth is, one of the places that fake religion can most easily flourish is in affluent suburbia. Because in affluent suburbia, we are often cut off from societies poor and needy. In affluent suburbia, there is prosperity, there's safety, there's religious success. In such a place, it's easy to cover up the fakeness with the glossy externals. And chapter 5, verse 18 to 27, is a warning to us about fake Christianity, hypocritical Christianity, pretend Christianity. Now, last year, uh, there were apparently 33,000 fake $50 bills in circulation. Uh, now, and that, it's increasing. It's the popular uh, note, apparently, for, to, to, to make fake. Now, to determine if a note, a $50 note, is fake or not, there are a number of tests that you put it through. Now, today in Amos, we want to consider from Amos 5, Amos 5 what fake religion looks like. Now, I have here two $50 notes. One is fake uh, and one is real. We'll, I'll reveal which is which at the end. See if you can work it out. Okay. We want to consider three marks of fake religion. Three marks of hypocritical religion, of sham religion. So firstly, fake religion is ignorant of the danger of the day of the Lord. We see this in verses 18 to 20. So similar to money counterfeiters, Israel ignored the danger that they were in. Have a look at verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness, not light. Verses 18 to 27 are a woe oracle to Israel to warn them of the danger that awaits them. They think they're safe. They think the day of the Lord will be a day of safety for them, a day of victory, where Yahweh would intervene and destroy all their enemies. But the day entailed not light and brightness for them, but darkness and gloom. And we're given this comical picture in verse 19. The Israelites, they're out in the countryside. 
and they come face to face with a lion. They flee and escape the lion, only to run around the corner and come face to face with a bear. They flee the bear like Usain Bolt, and they run into the safety of a little hut. And they get into the hut, and they lean up against the wall, breathe a great sigh of relief, and then a deadly snake pokes pokes its head out of a crack in the wall and bites them. So instead of victory for the Israelites, the day of the Lord will bring disaster. As we see in verse 27, it would be a day where they would be conquered. They'd be destroyed and exiled. The northern kingdom of Israel was 40 years away from being wiped off the face of the earth. But Israel were completely ignorant of the danger that they were in. They were like the student who's really excited about the essay they hand in, thinking it's great, only to get it back and receive an F, fail. Which reminds me of uh, when I was at university. (laughs) I was in my final semester uh, of an economics degree, but I had to choose a subject to make up a few credit points to to get to the number of credit points. I asked a, a few other students what they recommended, and the going word was to take a subject called peace studies, that it would be a piece of cake. The subject involved a 50% essay and then a 50% exam at the end. I actually really enjoyed this subject, one of my favourite subjects. You'd you'd get there and the the, the lecturer would bring along a pot of coffee. We'd sit around sipping coffee, thinking how we could solve the world's peace problem. Uh, Very different to my economic and accounting subjects. Well, around this time in my final year of university, I became a Christian as well. And I was pretty excited about this. So... When I was asked in the 50% essay how we could solve the world's peace problem, I wrote about how Jesus was the only solution. (laughs) I knew it was a risky move, but I was pretty confident of of my uh, answer. Well, I finally received it back thinking, what's going to happen? And across the front of it was a big F, fail, 50% essay. Well, it was a shock to me. I thought this subject was going to be a piece of cake. I now had the potential of failing my final semester of university because I failed peace studies. So it sounds quite amusing now, but at the time I was not too amused. And fortunately, I took the Amos chapter 5 warning of the F and seriously prepared myself for D-Day, examination day. And I survived uh, that exam somehow. Well, just like I mistakenly thought peace studies would be a piece of cake, Israel mistakenly thought that the day of the Lord would be a piece of cake for them. But the message of Amos is a warning to us, and it's a warning to us today as well. The day of the Lord for us is the day that Jesus will return to judge the world. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says to us today that Jesus, the day of the Lord, will come like a thief in the night when we least expect it. So we want to be ready for this day. We need to examine ourselves now to see if we're genuine, that we're not fake. Because the consequences of getting it wrong for us are much more severe than they were for the Israelites. We have eternal consequences to face if we get it wrong. So let's peel off another layer of fake religion. Let's see what another mark of fake religion is. Secondly, fake religion is preoccupied with external worship. And we see this in verses 21 to 23. If one was to look at Israel's religion from the outside, they would have been impressed. The churches, the cathedrals were full. Their conferences were packed. There were great celebrations. Everyone loved the music. If you were to tour Israel at the time, you would have said, they're a very religious nation. 
They're very serious about God. But this was God's verdict upon the external worship of Israel. Have a look at verse 21 to 23. God said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harp. It's tragic. They're worshipping God thinking all is great. But God says to them, I hate it all. The root of Israel's sin was that their hearts were far from God. They equate God with a place of worship, with acts of religion. And they forget that God is a real person who wants real and genuine relationships with us. I love the story that Don Carson tells about his father. Don Carson, a a well-known theologian and written numerous Christian books. And in the years that Don was growing up, his father uh, had his study in their home. And every morning, Don could hear his father praying. Loudly enough that he knew he was praying, but not loudly enough that he could hear exactly what he was saying. And he'd hear his father do this every morning for about 45 minutes. But one Sunday, the door of the study was ajar and young Don pushed it open and there was his dad kneeling in front of his big chair, praying and quietly weeping. And this time Don could hear what his father was saying. He was praying to God for the people of his church and in particular for the conversion of a few who regularly attended but who had never trusted Jesus. And Don Carson said this of his parents. He said, I testify that my parents were not hypocrites. That is the worst possible heritage to leave with children. High spiritual pretensions and low performance. My parents were the opposite. Few pretensions and disciplined performance. What an incredible legacy to leave your children with. A real and genuine relationship with God not a fake and pretend relationship. If we fear being a hypocrite in our relationship with God, what are we to do? Well, Amos chapter 5, verse 6 tells us what we need to do. God says in verse 6, Seek me and live. And in case we miss the importance of this, Amos says it again in verse 6, Seek the Lord and live. Seek him, know him, love him. Do it today. Call out to him for mercy before it's too late. Because as chapter 5 verse 6 says, lest he break out like fire in judgment, like the roaring lion against us. Amos chapter 5 says, seek God today and live. Don't give up seeking him until you love him deeply. Pray that he would become more, that you would become more like Don Carson's parents who had few pretensions and disciplined performance. Now we're digging deeper into fake religion. We've seen that fake religion is ignorant about the danger of the coming day of the Lord. And secondly, we've seen that fake religion is preoccupied with externals, external worship. Thirdly, finally, we see that fake religion is unconcerned about those in need. Now, this is the easiest to spot, which is why Amos gives it such attention in chapter 5. It's like the $50 note. 
the easiest way to spot which is fake and which is genuine is to give it a particular test. Hands up if you think this, this one is fake. Hands up if you think this one is fake. Most of you are right. Okay, that was good. I'm not going to make a good money counterfeiter. Um, okay, what the test you give it is you give it the scrunch test. And the, the fake one should stay scrunched and the other one should spring back to life. So yes, you're correct. That is the real authentic one. So well done. A few of you uh, need a bit of, bit of work on your money testing there. <laughs> um, well, let's give Israel the scrunch test. Ourselves the scrunch test. Have a look at verses 10 to 12. It says, You levy Israel a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, you've built stone mansions. You'll not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you'll not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. So what's happening in Israel is the greedy rich are charging the poor farmers harsh taxes. But not only that, they are using ill-gotten gain from, poor, from the poor to support their own luxurious living. Israel was so blinded by their comfort and addicted to their luxury that they ignored the, the, the injustice and the evil all around them. Everywhere things were rigged against the poor. It's a tragic day, isn't it? When you can't rely on justice or the court systems in a society. I'll never forget my first weekend in Harare, Zimbabwe, a few years ago. A local minister took me on a tour of a number of churches in the suburbs. And the churches were packed, overflowing with people. There were tents out in the field, full of people. It was as though everyone was, was at church. The, the streets were almost deserted. The only people on the streets were some very poor and homeless people wandering around. But many of the wealthy and many of the corrupt politicians and the corrupt police, they were all in church. And many of them, they would go to church and they would say, Amen, brother. Amen, sister. Then they would leave in their Mercedes Benz and their shiny suits and abuse and ignore the poor and needy from Monday to the next Sunday. And God thinks it stinks. Their worship of him is offensive. God hates it. Now, it's easy for us, isn't it? In the hills, distance, distant from places like the injustices that occur in places like Zimbabwe. But how much do we care about the poor and needy around us? How much of our time and effort do we put into thinking about the poor and needy, those who are getting no justice today in our society? How much do we think about this compared to thinking about our house plans, our savings plans, our health plans, our holiday plans? Consider these two alarming statistics. The total number of people trapped in modern-day slavery is estimated to be 45.8 million. It's twice the size of the Australian population. And children represent an estimated 26% of all forced labour. They're horrible statistics. And they're just a couple of, of, of hundreds like that. So what are we to do about this? Have a look at what chapter 5, verse 24 says. It says, But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream, 
So Amos urges Israel to let justice and righteousness flow from their lives. Israel had become addicted to luxury and did not care about the poor and needy in society. And these words of Amos in chapter 5 were famously used by Martin Luther King Jr. in his I Have a Dream speech. Martin Luther used them by saying, No, no, we are not satisfied and will not be satisfied until justice rolls down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Today is a special day. Today is Freedom Sunday. Not sure if you knew that. I only um, embarrassingly found out a few days ago. A day dedicated to ending slavery. Churches around the world, from Cebu to Toronto to Berlin to Nairobi, have dedicated today to bring hope and freedom to every enslaved child, woman and man. And today would be a great day for us to think How can justice roll on like a river in our lives? Not just on Sunday, but from Monday to Sunday. Today would be a great day for us to think, how can righteousness be like a never-failing stream in my life? Not just on Sunday, but from Sunday to Monday. Verse 14 says, seek good, not evil. Let's call on God today and say, what do you want me to do, Lord? How can justice and righteousness flow from my life like a river and a never-failing stream? How can we better support the organisations here like Barnabas Aid, Anglicare, Anglican Aid, or Operation Christmas Child, which focus on the very injustices mentioned in Amos 5? Perhaps as a start, we can get their prayer diaries and begin praying for them. It can be hard in affluent suburbia, can't it? to beware of the great injustices out there. But Amos 5 says we must seek good, not evil. So to conclude, how do we avoid being a fake Christian, a hypocrite, a sham? Two dominant commands come through in this chapter. Verse 6 says, seek the Lord and live. And verse 14, seek good not evil, that you may live. And we see here the importance of the vertical and the horizontal dimensions of our faith. In Luke chapter 10, an expert of the law asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, how do I escape the coming day of the Lord, the coming judgment day? And the correct response was, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice here the importance of both the vertical and the horizontal. Love God vertically with everything, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's not an either or an or. Both are vital in being an authentic, genuine, real Christian. Jesus Christ. God's son had such a deep love of his father, a deep vertical relationship with him. He loved to commune with him in private. And after he'd sought his father in prayer, he would go out into the cities and seek good, horizontally love others. He would preach the good news and show love and justice and righteousness to the poor, to the needy, to the downtrodden. So let's pray 
that we would have this vertical love for God, this deep love for Him that would flow out in our lives in a horizontal love for our neighbor. Let's pray this now together as a church. Father God, we thank you for this wake-up call from Amos, your prophet. Help us not to be hypocrite Christians, Lord. Help us to look deep inside our hearts and our lives. And Lord, we pray that we would have this deep love for you, deep love for the Lord Jesus that overflows in our lives, that overflows with righteousness and justice to those around us who are poor and needy. And we pray, Father, that you would give us the strength to do this by your Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.